Hawks. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. 7 o'clock hour here in the Sports Zone. Adam Fisher, former Mets front office executive. Nice enough to take some time to join me here in studio. Now, I know we look alike because uh, we're both bald, and you can maybe have seen us on uh, SNY Baseball Night in New York together, and we became you know, we'll work co-workers over there. And Adam has a very interesting story. I thought it'd be great to have him in studio for a little bit. Um, tell us about his story and obviously give us some insight because, you know, look, I, I'm, what do I know? I'm a dopey fan who's gone to the games, and I sit here on the radio and say, get this guy and trade for that guy, and why are you doing this? Well, Adam actually has some insight, being that he worked with the Mets in the front office from 2003 to 2017. That's a pretty long time, Adam. You were there with the Mets for a while. I was. I pretty much grew up there. So give me your – take me through a little bit. Let the fans know who Adam Fisher is and what exactly your roles were and how they evolved over the years with the Mets. Sure. Uh, I started pretty much out of college. Uh, in 2003, I was an intern, and uh, Steve Phillips was the GM that year. That was actually the year he was let go. Oh, wow. Uh, it, was, okay. it was interesting. Uh, and, I mean, I, I was you know, very far removed from anything at that point, but uh, but the ne- that, that season, Jim Duquette became the GM. He was actually the guy who had hired me. Then uh, I came on full time the next year when he was the full time GM. Oh, I didn't realize so, that. So Duke, yeah. he's a great guy, Jim Duquette. He's a, he's a great guy. Over the years, you know, he and I have, have become good friends. Uh, you know, over the last fifteen or so years. So uh, I was full time in two thousand four. Obviously, I've I saw some some interesting ups and downs. Uh, for, Did you have anything to do with trading for Scott or trading Scott Casimir for uh, Victor Zambrano? I was in the room. Oh man, Adam. What? <laughs> No, I know I bust Jim's chops about that one all the time, but I was in the room, but uh, but that's about all I'll say about that. So. Uh, all right, yeah, that's. I mean, you were there. Look, I mean, you were there for 14 years, so there's a lot that went on uh, throughout that course. You mentioned Phillips into Duquette, and then what? How long was Duquette the head? Uh, what 2005? Right, it was. I? It was just 2004 for for Jim, uh, and then uh, Omar came on board in 2005, and actually a funny. A funny little anecdote uh, from Omar. You know, I was at that time was more of an analytics guy, and everything out there about Omar was that he was anti-analytics. So he came. I, I used to share an office with Ben Bomber, who was the statistical analyst for the Mets, who's since become a professor at Smith of statistics. Wow, it's pretty interesting. He is an uh, extremely smart, smart guy. Uh, but but Omar came in and basically told Ben and I that we were fired. Uh, it was a joke. It was, I mean, it was like two seconds. He's like, you guys are fired. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm going to use you. My reputation is that I don't, I don't like analytics, but I do. And I'm absolutely going to use you guys. And it was, it was working for Omar was a lot of fun. Well, you're on the Omar topic. Uh, were you familiar with the Oliver Perez negotiations in what was that? 2008, maybe? Yes. What the heck was he thinking? So there was, it seemed from the outside, Adam, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, and this is why we want to have you in studio. It seemed like there was no competition regarding Oliver Perez. Yet he went out there and gave him a three year, 36 or whatever it was at the time. I thought that was crazy. Take me through the thought process. Well, you know, Ollie was, was coming off a pretty good year. If I remember correctly, yeah, I and mean, uh, I think I think the certainly you can talk about the the lack of competition. Uh, he had Scott Boris as an agent, and we liked Oliver. Uh, maybe there was a mystery team involved, uh, as, okay. as Boris likes to do. But but ultimately, I think it was fair value for what he had accomplished. It wasn't a crazy big contract, if we remember correctly. Obviously, it went extremely poorly, uh, and there's no right. there's no excuse for that. But uh, I think it was roughly a market deal. You can you can argue the wisdom of doing it with a player who's that volatile, right? But but he was essentially the best guy 
out there and we needed starting pitching. So that's not necessarily how you should make your decisions in hindsight, but but I think that was ultimately the thought process. And we knew him. We knew what his warts were, but he did have success in New York which is a is a pretty nice component of when you're looking at players. So what is your role? And again, we've got a lot to get to in further the years and different guys that you work for. But give me an example. I'm talking uh, right now with Adam Fisher in studio here, former Mets front office uh, member um, for many years. What is your role in something like that? Obviously, you start an intern in 03 and you, build, you work your way up. You're an analytical guy, you're saying, from the beginning. Take me through your role there. You're just going over all the crunching all the numbers, bringing all that info to the higher-ups? Uh, that, that was part of it. Yeah. I think, uh, I evolved sort of over, over the years. Omar gave me a chance to scout and, uh, I kind of became what you might call a hybrid. So had the ability to do both. I was out in the field, started doing some amateur scouting. I did some professional scouting. My last, the entire time I was with Sandy, I oversaw advanced scouting and, uh, advanced for a couple years. We did, we switched to video, but for, for uh for my Sandy's first two seasons I was the primary advanced scout so I advanced all the the teams so meaning when you play a team you you scout them you know you look at all the hitters all the pitchers all their tendencies and uh work with the coaching staff and give them the information. So, so you do that right from City Field or Shea at the time, whatever it is. You're so, watching the three game series breaking it everything down. Yeah, basically What's available today is insane in terms of the amount of video. You can go through. You everybody sort of has uh, different methods or ways to go about it, but you're not necessarily a traditional advanced scout would look at the previous four games. They would go to the 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 game of the team you're about to play. Right. So say you're about to play the Nationals, the advanced scout would go watch the Nationals wherever they're playing and watch four or five games. Okay. And, what we would do on video is we have access to every swing that's cut up from the last however many years you want. So you don't necessarily have to go game by game. You can watch, say, 100 at-bats in like 10 minutes. Wow. So, right, so, it's kinda, so far advanced you come now. up with a system. There, there's absolutely a uh, – there's, there's definitely some wisdom for seeing guys live, and teams still do that. I think if you have the ability to do both – uh, that that's and that's what we would do for the playoffs. So we would send scouts out. Right. Uh, our whole our whole scouting staff, pro scouting staff, would go out and watch. But then we would still be doing the video back at City Field, and we would blend it all together. So maybe the the advanced scout sees something that you can't see on video. But analyzing hitters and pitchers off the video now is, I mean, every little tendency you want is right there. And boy, that is incredible, the way that it's evolved. And by the way, you talk about doing it for the playoffs. You were there for 2006, obviously. You were there for 2015, 2016 as well. You've been there for a lot of the success that this organization has had in recent times. How about the high of 2006, your first time experiencing that? That was great, and uh, I think... Uh, I was just like all the fans when Andy made that catch. Was like, oh man, we're, there's no way we're losing this game. Now, where you know? do you where do you guys watch? Do you have a separate suite? Well, as I've as I it's a complete evolution of sort of my role. That series in 2006, I was basically like any other fan. I had a uh, just I had a seat along the first base dugout. Okay, cool. Uh, for the World Series run, I I sat behind the plate with the scouts, just observing, trying to come up if I saw any tendencies of the teams we were playing 
uh, pass it along. How so. many of the of, are there other guys that do your job? Are you alone? Do you have three or four guys that do the same thing that you do? Uh, as far as well, I, I had a pretty unique role just in terms of because overseeing uh, what I did in addition to advanced scouting my last couple of years was a lot of administration, helping out the assistant GM John Rico, who, right, I, wor- sure. who I worked for for basically fourteen years. Who's ago. next in line, by the way? Uh, potentially, he'd be a great. Uh, you know, however, however things shake out, he he's. Uh, Certainly well equipped to be a GM one day. So, yeah. so great, you work great guy. I work with John for for basically fourteen years. But the the hybrid kind of scouting, administration, analytics kind of got a chance to do do all of it over the years. My last couple of years though was advanced scouting and administration, arbitration, helping out with contracts, rules, that kind of thing. So, all right. So help me out here. And again, we're talking with Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member, 2003 to 2017. And, and by the way, we should just touch up uh, the rest of why you're here today. Sure. In fact, not specifically why you're here, but why you're able to come and spend. Yes. You're doing broadcasting now, a little bit of SNY. And here, you left the Mets in 17, and you went unfortunate timing, it seems, but went to the Braves. I did. I uh, I left the Mets in September of 2017. Uh, never really looking to leave. I love New York, but had a great opportunity to go to the Braves as assistant GM. And uh, it was just like any other normal process. I, I interviewed with, I think, three other people, got the job. And uh, about a week after I got there, the GM resigned with this uh, this cheating scandal that essentially hit the whole organization. And uh, my responsibility got got uh, you know uh, elevated a little bit for a couple of months I was uh, we had a kind of a three-headed monster running the team with with uh, with John Hart uh, who's also since moved on uh, but when when the new GM came in he just decided he wanted his own number two so uh, I was sent packing and so uh, here I am you went to take advantage of a great opportunity unfortunate timing just bad circumstance so that I mean obviously that's not great but the experience I'm sure helped you out being able to be one of the main guys who's running a ball club in a couple of months or not right absolutely you're thrown right into the fire if you think about the fact that you know you're talking about a roughly two month period but the organization is in chaos so getting a chance to really sort of help morale, talk to people about what's going on, try to help straighten things out. Obviously, I wasn't involved in any of it. I was with the Mets. I had no idea. Um, and, you know, that's sports. It's unfortunate timing for me, but, you know, the new GM has the ability to hire whoever he wants, and a lot of people do want their own guy when they're coming in as the number two, sort of the the closer you get to the sun, kind of the more vulnerable right. you are. I mean, I survived many GMs with the Mets, but I wasn't – I was sort of uh, – mid-level type guy in those years. Yeah, and eventually you want to get your own opportunity. I mean, you're working sure. there for a long time. If, you, you know, if you're not getting the chance to be the guy or getting closer and closer to be the guy, you got to go try to find it elsewhere, as Adam did. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back. There's so much more I want to get to. I want to get into you know, the balance of analytics and you know, actually watching these teams and going with gut feel. There's so much there. I'm not an analytics guy. You may be more so. All I know everybody is kind of now. The lack of emphasis on having a manager who's experienced, we've seen that with Callaway. We'll get into the Mets specifically this year, too. So a lot more to do here with Adam Fisher. We'll take your calls as well. 800-321-0710 if you want to call, have a question for me or Adam while he's sitting in with us. We'll also give away a pair of Mets tickets this hour as well. Plenty more to do. Salicata in the Sports Home, live in studio with Adam Fisher, filling in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 W O. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Live in studio with Adam Fisher, who used to be a Mets front office member from 2003 to 2017. We're just talking to Adam during the break. You know what's funny, Adam? I think he gets overlooked. The competitiveness 
of you guys in the front office. You could talk about Sandy Alderson, Omar. I mean, you worked on all these against Duquette, you yourself. Speak to how competitive, because, you know, the fans sometimes, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. They got to make a move or do this. Speak to how competitive and how much you guys wear it night in, night out with the ball clubs. I mean, big time. It's. <laughs> It's it's worse than any. I it, you're really the I, what I can say is this: having having now stepped away from a team for I guess about six six seven months or so, uh, one of the things over the years that's sort of unfortunate is the losses hurt more than the wins feel good. Yeah. Uh, but I I have secondhand anxiety right now watching the Mets lose like this. I mean, really? I can tell you, I feel bad for that. I've, I may not feel bad, but it's 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 tough. I, I really root for these guys, and I know how they feel. And you wear those losses. I mean, it, it's just like it's not. You're not a player, but I would compare it to my same experience when I was a player in high school and college. Uh, when when my team lost, just that that feeling, uh, or you know, the most obsessive fans how they feel I guess is how we feel in front office any particular players on this current roster that you were not a fan of personally forget about that for a second but more a fan of their play and guys that you would um, you know back more or believe in more so than others that you're rooting for in particular you know I really uh, I really like Jay Bruce as a person I'd like to see him do uh, to, you know pick it up and, and get back to uh, to where he was you were for them resigning him I was I was. I like the move. Uh, he's just. I, I was. I was really impressed how he turned it around in New York after after the poor start. And that's a. I think I've talked. I think we might even been on the same uh, same panel at, at uh, Baseball Night in New York. But just talking about uh, sort of how impressive that was and the component of. And I kind of touched on it before with Oliver Perez, the unfortunate uh, using that as a component for him, but. <laughs> But uh, but the ability to play in New York, it's just like no other place. The pressure is is such a huge dynamic when you're signing these guys. You definitely take that into consideration. In Jay's case, he had leadership qualities. He's very smart, and uh, he had succeeded in New York. It completely turned around his narrative. So I, that was I think that was an important thing for the Mets when they resigned him. So what about resign or not resigning, but bringing back? Todd Frazier, maybe the same thing. He had some success yes. with the Yankees. So how much yeah, do you value that when you are thinking about bringing in a player? And, I mean, Curtis Granderson is another example. Oh, yeah. That was a big, not a big, it was a pretty pretty solid consideration. The guy had already had success in New York. You know that he can handle it. And you just don't know until you have them on your team whether they can handle this this market. Guys who come over from the Yankees or you've come up through your farm system or have already done it. Then uh, you have you you have a, a a look into that and you have a you have a better idea when you're bringing them in or bringing them back. And, and Cespedes clearly thrived here when yeah. you guys first made that move for him. I'm sure that was a huge reason why you you know, you know what they go out and extend him not just the one year but then obviously right. after that because of his success in this market he seemed to thrive. He certainly did. I mean it, it took him to another level. Yeah, in some, right. In some ways, which is which happens, but it's it's not that often. So, yeah, that was a, a definite consideration with Cespedes, too. All right, so a couple of things about the current team. We're in studio right now with Adam Fisher, former member of the Mets front office. Let's stick with Cespedes. Uh, he's always been banged up throughout the course of his career. Alarmed by that? You think he's taking extra time here? How, give me your feel on Cespedes and this current situation. I think it's a concern. I, I it When it creeps up a couple years in a row, I, I, I think... Uh, it has to concern you on some level, but I, we'll have more information. I think this next stretch for him is pretty important. Just how does he respond 
when he comes off the DL from this recent injury, if he re-aggravates it again over the course of a couple weeks or a month or even again this season, I think you're going to worry a little more going into the offseason. So we'll get some more information. I'm not privy to uh, – yeah, I talk to my, my buddies in the in mm-hmm. the front office still, but I, I haven't – I haven't really talked to anyone necessarily about Cespedes. I think uh, the hydration issue was a real issue, which I know it makes people laugh, but right. uh, I believe they fixed that. Uh, that that hasn't hasn't sort of made a difference. Uh, we're just going to have to see how this whole thing progresses. But clearly, the last two years, the legs have been an issue, and and I think this next month, his health over the next month is going to tell us a lot. Yeah, and the way the offense has struggled. I mean, look, you should never be built around one guy, but obviously, if there's one guy they can't be without for an extended period, it's him in that lineup. How about Conforto? Um, you guys, obviously, you were there when they drafted him. You, you loved him. What about his development or lack thereof, especially this year where I know he was an all-star last year, but he's never put it together from start to finish of a year yet? Yeah, I can't. I can't really argue with that. I think he's an outstanding young player, and uh, I'd love to see him put sort of two really good years together. Mm. One thing I was thinking about, and I, I don't. This is just just me sort of spitballing, but I, I think the expectation level last year was pretty low for him, and he kind of bust right through it. The two years that he's actually had expectations have not started very well. However, he does have a pretty handy excuse this year, which is the injury. And we, you and I talked about it, actually. I, I remember uh, when the season of well, spring training was just ending and we were getting into the season, when do you bring him back? And I think, I think he might have come back a little too quickly. And that, that's, that's had a, been a factor in terms of his, uh, his season thus far. Yeah. You can't, they really don't, I'm not going to send him down at this point again. And every no, time they've no done chance. that, anytime he's done that, he's gone down and raked. So we know he's a major league player, but boy, he's definitely better than this. Uh, here's a big one for you, Adam, the manager. Now, I, at the time, I mean, I guess before they made the decision, I thought, let's just stick with Terry because Terry didn't do anything de- that deserved to be fired, right? The team was ravaged with injury a year ago. Stick it out sure. with him. Give him another year. And then if they start badly, and look what happens, they start badly after that hot start, then you could make a move. So right now, Terry would be the pound of flesh that they could give the media and the fans. It would be a perfect transition, bring in another guy and reassess at the end of the year. They didn't. They let him walk away. Fine. I could understand the argument, too, that you're ready for a fresh voice of change. They go with Mickey Calloway, who's a big analytics guy. He blew me away. I mean, I'm sure he impressed you. He certainly impressed Sandy Alderson. But a first-time guy and as a manager and in New York City, and now you're seeing when they start to struggle, boy, it's been pretty ugly so far. Give me your thoughts on the Calloway hire and then obviously so far what you've seen. I think you summed it up pretty well there, you know, South. My, my thoughts are I, I think he was a really hot name coming into the offseason. He uh, he had the endorsement of of Terry Francona, uh, winning organization over the last couple of years. Really good, really successful pitching coach, charismatic and uh, progressive in his thinking. And I, I was I've been very impressed, or or was very impressed with him through spring training, coming into the year. And uh, I guess at the at the end of the day, I think we we underestimate sort of as an industry or as a as a market here, maybe in New York just how high that learning curve is to get thrown into the fire as a first-year guy in this market. And I think he's going to improve. Certainly, the button-pushing, just the way the team's played, I mean, some of that reflects on the the manager, and uh, you you can't really argue with that. Uh, From my standpoint, I hope he's he's learning from this, and he can put this in his mental bank 
and make better decisions as he moves forward. But it, it's tough. I, I he he tried to address it and saying by saying you know well this isn't Cleveland right. I, I, it clearly wasn't necessarily uh, the right tone for for you know the New York fan base. Uh, but I you totally get where he's coming from. He's not used. No one who hasn't been and. I was thinking about this, you know, you contrast him with Aaron Boone, right? Right. Aaron Boone played for the Yankees. So he has you know, experience. He, he has experience here. So uh, now he's got, he has what up till now is a, is a more successful team. And, and last year, certainly they were a playoff team. So he inherited a he's playoff team. He's got a lot team. more to work yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. Look, without, without ripping anybody, he's got a lot more to work with right now at sure. the very least. Sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, Aaron had that, had that in his corner. Mickey, Mickey, this is all new to him. And, uh, I think I think he will figure it out, but it's uh, it's it's a, it's a steep curve, and it's it's certainly not going well recently. And it is one of the reasons why probably ownership, at least the story was out there. I don't know, was saying that they wanted somebody with experience in New York because of that reason. So now, not only do you have a guy who doesn't have experience in New York, you also have a guy who doesn't have experience as a manager. I do think Callaway will be fine eventually. It is just infuriating to watch a guy learning at the big league level. Now, you're talking about the manager, you're talking about Rosario, you're talking about endless players who are learning at the big league level. They should be ready um, by the time that they get here. But I want to ask you this before we take another break here. Why the devaluing of a manager on field, the field general, so to speak, the way that it's evolved in the analytics and nowadays, why did they devalue a guy like, say, Davey Johnson or, you know, Buck Showalter, or the endless guys, you know, the Lou Pinella types? Why, tell me that transition in the front office. That's, that's a, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think, I think you still want that in the ideal world. You just, you want that presence, that guy, that, that, that Lou Pinella type, but that's going to listen to you. That's going to listen to you because look, look. At the end of the day, I know that. I, I, look, it draws a laugh, but the, the reality of it is that we have so much information now. Now it can be information overload, but there's there's a lot out there, and if you're not using it, you're falling behind. That's yeah. that's what it comes down to. So the ideal guy is a guy who has some fire, who can lead men. I mean. You're talking about the the ideal manager these days controls the clubhouse, communicates, and can lead men, but at the same time is open minded and understands that there's a ton of information out there and can learn it and is is uh, at the very least open minded about it and willing to talk about it. But how does the information, Adam, apply on the field? I mean, sometimes it's too much Callaway going by the book. Just go with your gut for goodness' sake. Give me a piece of information that the a dummy like me wouldn't be aware of in a game to game basis or you know inning to inning basis. Uh, uh, for example, just just the percentages of bunt for bunting it, it's you should almost never bunt right so even more so why cabrera is bunting well that that wasn't mickey's call on that one i, I think that was sort of a sigh of relief for for all, all of us mets watchers that it wasn't his call yeah because otherwise uh, it would have been big problem but still callaway the night before goes out and says we need to do the little things we need to play small ball bunt guys and this and that and then of course the next day cabrera goes out there and bunts foolishly it's a stupid play but i don't mind bunting in certain spots but if you're going based on percentages don't certain situations dictate otherwise than what the percentages would normally say i mean for me not 
Not what, what you want to give me? I mean, do you have well, an example? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Jerry Blevins against a lefty, or mm-hmm. I'll give mm-hmm. you a more specific example. Because Jerry Blevins can't get a lefty out this year, Callaway the other night decides to go with Paul Seawald for whatever reason. Gazelman's not available. I mean, there's no percentages for that. Get your rear end in the game anyway. Two nothing lead. Runners on first and third. Wheeler has to leave the game. Brings in Seawald because his percentages, quote unquote, percentages are better against lefties. So you have Blevins who hasn't gotten a lefty out all year or Seawald, whose numbers are better against the lefty, he's going strictly based on the percentages there with Seawald versus the lefties? Well, I, I think you know, your other problem is just that Jerry Jerry has, has struggled this year, so it's not a clear-cut choice. But still, percentages would tell Percentage-wise you... Percentage-wise would tell you, yes, go with Seawald right now. Because of Blevins' current struggles. Yes. O- although, overall... Although, overall, right. So, so it, I, it, it's... It's not an easy. Basically, it just unfortunately seems like, and for me, I would call that a fifty-fifty flip a coin because you're talking about a long track record of Blevins getting lefties Correct. out, but he doesn't get lefties out now. Correct. Seawald's so, gotten lefties out, so it's flip. It's kind of a flip a coin choice. Unfortunately for Mickey, and and that's where kind of your gut might override the numbers. Unfortunately, in Mickey's case. Uh, I don't know if he had brought in. Maybe it's a case where if he brings in both guys, they're both going to fail. Correct. You that don't being know. said, but but it seems like those fifty fifty decisions are going against Mickey and the Mets right now. It's just it's all snowballed. And I think that's a great point that you make because you can make the argument to go with your gut or go with the percentages, and he seems to be doing it the wrong way. I think if you're going to go with the percentages, go with them all the time. If you're not, then go with the gut, because in a situation there where, okay, just because Blevins hasn't gotten a lefty out doesn't mean he's not going to get that lefty out. I guess that's the bigger point here. Sure. That each uh, yeah, situation I, I, is different. Each situation is different, I think. I think in in some in some ways, and it goes back to the uh, the Nick Williams home run, right? Yeah, where, oh, man. Yeah. Where Blevins was warmed up, he didn't come in, he went to Seawald, Seawald gave it up. So the next time he went to Blevins, Blevins gave it up. And then he goes back so to Seawald. So then you go back to Seawald. It's like it, these guys aren't getting it done. It's hard to pin it on the manager. He has a very sort of thin margin for error. I think it, it's just it's a challenging situation. I really do believe, uh, for all the Mets fans out there, I believe in the talent of this team. I, I think I think they are going to turn it around. Perhaps I'm, uh, you know, I'm, obviously these are my guys over there, mm-hmm. and, and I believe in them, um, the front office and, and the players. But uh, but this is this is a tough stretch, and they haven't made it easy for Mickey as a as a first year manager. There's there, I, it's tough. I mean, in this market, the, the way things are going, uh, it, you know, it, it it's it's tough for Mickey. No, it's brutal, and it could get worse with the Yankees coming in town this weekend. We're in studio with Adam Fisher right now. Got a couple of players in particular. I'm gonna th- try to throw some trades at you. I've always wanted to be. Look, I talk like I'm a scout or a GM. I'm gonna throw some trades at. We'll okay. have some fun okay. next. Well, all right. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think uh, Mets fans will be if we're going to talk about if we're going to get into the sort of do you trade these uh, these horses. You're going to need an entire farm system for one of those guys. We so. will we will get into that in detail with Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member from 2003 to 2017. Subway Series ahead. You got Jacob Degrom and Masahiro Tanaka tomorrow night. Mets and Yanks get set for three, where the Mets clearly need a win. Mets tickets to give away this hour as well. We're uh, in the Sports Zone, filling in for Pete McCarthy, the Voice of New York, seven ten W O R. You're in the W O R Sports Zone. In for Pete. Here's Sal Licata. 
Back in studio with Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member, 2003 to 2017, 800-321-0710, the number to call. We're just talking to Adam during the break. Great insight here. So tell me the truth. How bad is it with the Mets farm system? Because all these years, it was, you know, Alderson came on and his regime, which you were part of, and you were part of obviously others as well prior to that, talking about rebuilding the farm and getting this thing built the right way and all those years of evaluation mode. And now it seems, at least from the outside, that the farm system is not nearly where it should be. What's the real truth about the Mets farm system? Well, I think you know, we graduated some guys over those years. It's it's really it's a, definitely a challenge, and not to make excuses, but it's definitely a challenge to just have continual waves of prospects. Most teams do have at least some periods of of rut. It takes maybe one bad draft or one bad signing period, you know, for international players uh, to to sort of create a little bit of a void. Uh, but but I think. Sandy's track record is pretty good over the seven years if you really grind it down. And coming into this season, really it wasn't – everything went bad last year. The team was bad. There was tons of injuries. And the farm system had, I would say, certainly the worst year that's that as Sandy when Sandy was GM and one of the worst years of my uh, 15 years there. Uh, you had wow. – you. It, you had the first round pick Justin Dunn had had a rough year. Uh, Peter Alonzo, who was the second round pick, was was struggling. Anthony Kay, uh, who was a comp pick uh, with Dunn, and needed Tommy John was out for the entire year last year. Thomas Zapucky, uh, also who's a really interesting lefty left handed pitching prospect, needed Tommy John. So you're talking about four or five big time disappointments. And that is sort of why the system... Also, you graduated Ahmed Rosario, who was right. the best prospect. So that's why the system was sort of viewed uh, among, in some publications, and you can take those somewhat with a grain of salt, but uh, if we want to just use... No, that's not what you were saying off the air. You had well, a little choice for <laughs> Adam was a little more fiery in between break about that, but go look, ahead. We look, it's, it's public information. Uh, you, take it, you take it for what it is. Uh, it, you, know, you, you use it as a gauge, per se, uh, but uh, but I didn't really I don't necessarily think it's it's nearly as bad going into the year you could you could debate how whether they deserve to be among the bottom teams in baseball right. but I would I would suggest so every guy I mentioned Justin Dunn just got promoted to Binghamton he's having a great year Anthony Kay has recovered from Tommy John surgery he's pitching extremely well their first round pick from last year David Peterson another left handed pitcher like Kay having a very strong year uh, Andres Jimenez is an infielder shortstop. Uh, Really interesting, poise beyond his years kind of guy who's crushing St. Lucie at age nineteen. Interesting. So really interesting guy there. Now he was probably the he was their number one prospect coming into this season. Um, so he's just kind of picked up where he left off in some ways. He, he was just okay last year, but he's only an eighteen year old in low A. Uh, so they also have the first round pick Kelnick, sixth pick in the country. They you can, like that pick? They can add to that mix. I high do school like. Kid, I do though, like right? that pick. He is a high school kid to to sort of speak to that, and I. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. If if those of you are listening, I have I have like two followers. So <laughs> what's so your like Twitter to, handle? Uh, Adam G Fisher. Now okay. there's not a lot of information about me on there. I would if I wanted to to really truly embrace the the media. Uh, I you know I, it it doesn't really say any. It's just just be careful. You saw what happened with Colangelo and the Sixers. With oh the well, just be careful. I have about seven burner accounts. But my, <laughs> <laughs> no, right. no, no. I, I, what I loved about the but the Colangelo thing to to uh, is one of one of the names Eric Junior. 
I mean, like, what's on, up with yeah. that? How, how did they come up with that? That That's, whole story is it's, just an it's, absolute... it's crazy. It's bonkers. So, so yeah, Adam G. Fisher, if you uh, if you want to follow me, but but um, I can see. I I liked Kelnick. I know that that people want uh, to to touch on that. People want kind of a quote fast mover, and there's really no guarantee in any draft, but particularly the baseball draft is more volatile than others. That your guy that you draft is going to be uh, up there. In you know Michael Conforto style right. in a year and a half, your best high school players. If you're a stud like Jay Bruce, for example, didn't it took him two and a half years. Uh, if you're a stud like Jared Kelnick and things click for you, it'll take you two and a half years. So right. it's not now. Brandon Nimmo took him a while, but he was from Wyoming. This guy Kelnick is like he he works out with JJ Watt from what I hear. Oh wow, he is uh, eat eat, you know, drink and sleep baseball. He actually graduated high school early. He's just been training. I love so it. this is this is a dude um who is uh who's who should be ready to go for a high school player. All right, so overall, quickly in summation, it's not as bad as maybe some people or the media paint it to be. I would say, I would I would guess just if you want to use those publications. Now, it's not a lot of it's not at the upper levels. Alonzo, I didn't touch on him. He he lost a ton of weight and is crushing double mm-hmm. A. Most Mets fans know that. Now we've their, heard about him. They yeah. got their eye on him now. I mean, I I scouted him last year and it was not pretty. I mean, he 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 basically uh, gotten way better shape and got the experience behind him of some failure, and now he's just completely taking off, taking off. He's killing double A. Um, but I think to use him as an example, it's kind of like you're up, you're down, you're in, you're out. Sometimes all it takes is a Peter Alonso if he does sort of develop. I mean, a guy like say Paul Goldschmidt, right? Exactly. Well, man, yeah, it no, takes no, one, it, one it or just two. takes one guy like that. I'm not saying Alonso is going to be Paul Goldschmidt, but he, not that he came out of nowhere, but he was not. Well, how about uh, Aaron Judge? I mean, Aaron well, Judge, it was people killing him. Oh, he's never going to make it. Scouts are saying the guy strikes absolutely. out too much. He's been an MVP. And he made, you know, he made some swing changes, I yeah. think, which which were big. But again, that just shows you these guys. That one sort of guy that emerges from your farm system, kind of not out of nowhere, but can make a big difference. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Mets move up from in, in these publications from being bottom of the group to at the very least the middle of the pack, which is a good which is a good jump for a year. Um, and a lot of these guys, they don't have a ton of upper-level depth right now. I think Sandy has has said that publicly. Uh, but Justin Dunn just got, got up to Binghamton. Uh, Alonzo's in Binghamton. They still have Dominic Smith. Haven't talked about him. Uh, so it doesn't take that long for some of these guys to make that jump from high A to AAA if things are going well. And it's funny because it it's maybe, or you, you know, to your point, never as bad as it seems. And when Omar was here, you know, and then Omar was let go. Obviously, a lot of his players years down the road helped Sandy and the Mets regime get to the World Series. Now, maybe if you be patient here with the Mets. Couple years down the road, some of these guys come up and have a huge impact. Absolutely, and I think you know. Look, I, I'm I'm some I'm a former front office member. I'm not even one year removed from working for the Mets, but but I think that people have you Homer. I'm a Homer. <laughs> I mean, of course <laughs> no, I am. That's right. Of, of course. course I am. But but and I'm a Homer I think, too. Shoot, come on. Sometimes I think, I think particularly in this market, you know, we have very short memories for success and long memories for failure. And right. the Mets have had some, I, I was there. We had some serious gut punches over the year. And this, this losing streak and the way it's going right now is, is not, is not fun for fans, but we're not that far removed from a world series team. And, you know, talk about the depth being tested in 2016. Now we couldn't overcome that last year with all the injuries, but in 2016, the entire pitching staff was was you know uh, was a wall basically. Everyone was uh, was hurt. If you remember, uh, 
we made the wild card team in our top three pitchers. Well, we had Syndergaard, but, yeah, but you're talking, else was down. You're talking yeah. Lugo and Gesellman. That's some nice pitching depth to pull those guys out of the minor leagues. So we forget. It's sort of like, well, wait, what's going on here? The Mets aren't developing players. Good I mean, point. it wasn't that long ago. And you had Michael Conforto starting in a World Series uh, you know, after starting the year in Double A, you know the media is a bunch so, of morons. Uh, well, I mean, look, it's it's still it impacts your job, <laughs> me included. Yeah. It impacts you know. It's certainly in this market, you feel the heat. Yeah. So, well, it's New uh, York. You try, you try to tune it out, but you feel the heat. Callaway's learning that too. All right, quick break. We're going to come back. I want to ask you about Noah and Degrom, how you would build a team moving forward, and give you a trade idea that I had before to see if we could execute that. Eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. We're in the studio. Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member. We'll finish up right after this. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. All right, real quick, Adam, because we only have a couple of minutes. Syndergaard, DeGrom, how, there's a lot of talk about them trading. I think it's idiotic. How would you handle those two moving forward if you were in the mem- a member of the organization? I would not be trading them. I'm with you. In under almost any circumstances, unless the teams are willing to empty your, their farm system. But the, the the problem really is that these guys are, now DeGrom's not particularly young at this point, but these guys are under control. Their Syndergaard's very is very young for for his experience. Uh, Degrom's young. These are the types of guys you want to build around. You're going to want in these trades. So it's really tough with that level of control to move them. I'd be thinking about extensions for these guys, but there's not really that much urgency on the part of the team because they control the, the right. Degrom for two more years, Syndergaard for three more years after this. So uh, they can they can take their time on that. And they can maybe take their money and use it elsewhere. So right. here's the fix, okay? Before we get to the free agency, I thought about this trade before. I want Real Muto. It's been a while since the Mets have addressed the catcher spot, or they tried to, but you know, to no avail. Obviously, with Darno and Plawecki uh, at this current moment, give me Real Muto. You could have your pick, Nimmo. Wheeler, Rosario, is there anything else in there? Maybe I don't, I don't have to give more than that, but maybe you come up with two plus a you know a lower level minor leaguer. Is that realistic? Am I in the ballpark? I think that's a that's I think the Marlins would like that package. Uh, maybe too much. It's right? too much from the Mets standpoint. I think for any team that's trying to acquire Real Muto, the further away from the major leagues, the better off you are moving them. And in that case, you've got three guys who are in the majors. Uh, with five, six years of control, Brandon Nimmo crushing it. I'm not sure that that makes the Mets better. Okay. Uh, but I, I think that from a value standpoint, that's probably what the Marlins would be looking for. So it's a lot. I mean, point is they could get him. If they want, if the Mets want, they could get Real Muto. They don't have to give those three. They can maybe give one of those or two of those and lesser, but they could get Real Muto, no? I think if they want it, but, but the, the question is, is it, is it smart to do that and empty out? They could. It's always for me. It's always overstated when when uh, media when media members say, "Well, they have no chance or they can't do that." You know, I mean, that, that's what they said about us when we were uh, when we couldn't get Johan Santana, right? right? I mean, there was no chance the Mets. What did you give get up Johan for Santana? Santana? I forget nothing, right? Not much. Uh, it or... Didn't end up being a whole lot. Well, it was Carlos Gomez was the best player. Oh yeah, Carlos okay. Gomez, Dolas Guerra. He pitched in the major leagues. Okay, uh, Philip Humber. Okay, I remember and, uh, Humber, Kevin Moore. hitter, I think, years later with the White Sox. He, that was his shining moment. Uh, and, uh, and, and Kevin Mulvey, who's now the head Mulvey. coach of Villanova. So. Um, so, so my plan is anyway to trade for Real Muto, right? And then sign Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I think it's a, it's a, it'd be an interesting move. I, God, I just come think, on, is it going to happen? Why don't you make this happen? You got contacts. That, I mean, that's over kind there. of more of a fantasy baseball type <laughs> type situation. This I, is New you York. Know, you were it, there when Omar was opening up the pocketbook. Well, going out well there. okay. So we actually talked about Machado on on Baseball Night in New York. I right. just think that there's so many variables. There's going to be 
seven to ten teams in on him. He's going to cost a boatload of money. So you're talking about you can't you can't go okay. This is what we're going to do. You need to. You don't. There's too many variables to say no. Under no circumstances do we let Manny Machado get away right. before the Mets. The money could get crazy. Uh, you know, it, it just there's there's crazy variables. You would agree though, if there's ever a time to spend, it would be on a player like Machado or Bryce Harper, correct? I agree with that. Just, I mean, come just on. because of their age and their and their uh, their level of performance right. in accordance with their age. You, you can you can sign them to a uh, long term deal. And feel comfortable that they're going to produce for the bulk of that deal, just based on their track records and their age. Yeah, I mean that's the thing you want. Yes. I, look, I know the. Mets. How do you feel about Bryce Harper in New York, though? Would you be concerned? I like his attitude. Now I don't know if things go bad. How he's going to do? I kind of think he's got the right confidence. He certainly has the right on field. I don't think that. I don't think that uh, New York would phase Bryce Harper. I just wonder, you know, the, the things the, that he how does much off of that, the field, whether that get, would get him in trouble. Can you uh, give me 30 seconds on that, Big, how big an issue New York nightlife has been over the years with certain players? Um, well, there's one big elephant in, in, in that room. I think we... we <laughs> with, with Justin Noah. Turner? Oh, with who now? <laughs> I'm not going oh. to mention names. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's wearing red right now. <laughs> oh, well, Harvey, yeah. I, mean, I should have known that. Well, obvious. the rumors over the years were Ike Davis and, um, and Justin, Justin Turner. Turner. Yeah, right. I mean, those guys, I, I don't think that that never became anything anything crazy. The Ike thing got blown out of proportion. That Look, that was part of who they were. They, they were doing that. I, I think um, it, it was a small thing uh, for those guys. A bigger thing for, you know, obviously for Matt. I mean, he got caught up in all that. Nah, I don't I don't necessarily so think that that's, yeah, It's a t- it was a tough end for him. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily that's what would get Bryce Harper in trouble. I just think his mouth, the way he yeah. handles himself with the media and, and and maybe the fans, that could be an issue. As long as he plays well, I'm sure they'd be all right. Adam, this was fun, man. Thanks for taking the time Absolutely, to come in. Sal. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me well, in, de- man. Yeah, I want to have you on again. We'll have some fun uh, discussing the Mets later on uh, in the season, maybe All-Star break or something like that if you're free for it. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. The time. Appreciate Adam, it, Sal. Adam Fisher, former Mets front office member from 2003 to 2017.